Hello, my name is Kendra Winchester, and I'm here with Autumn Privet, and this is the Reading Women Podcast, where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by talking about books by or about women, and this is episode 12.5, which is a special bonus episode. I love bonus episodes. Yes, because we basically decided we can do whatever the jolly well we want. <laughs> whatever we want. No rules, no regulations. Be can afraid. I'll talk about it. Yay. Uh, we promise it will all have to do with books, though we would be happy to do a bonus episode about our fur children. But we, we will won't. spare you. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, moving on. Autumn, what is this episode about? This is a special episode where we are mostly talking about The Other Einstein by Mary Benedict. And but, and but, both, we are also talking about some other novels about famous women who uh, maybe are in the shadow of their husband's name or reputation. Wives of famous people. Yeah, wives of famous people. Uh, so we, uh, full disclosure, we were contacted by the publisher. You know, we get sent books, whatever. And we saw this. We thought it would fit. And we read it, we liked it, we had thought it was an important story to share, and then we were like, oh, we've read other books like this. So we thought we would put them all together and have a general discussion about Wives of Famous People books, why they're important, and what themes we can draw from them. And you know, I hadn't even really realized how many books I'd read about the wives of famous men. It's definitely a trend. It really is. And like, there's others that I'm thinking of that aren't on this list that I haven't read, but I know about. Yeah, there are there are a lot. So if your favorite book about the wife of a favorite dead white dude or whatever is not is not on here, then let us know because we would love to take a look at it because we are only including the ones that we have read. We obviously cannot read all the books ever. Nope, unfortunately. We will try. We will try. <laughs> Uh, so the general plan today is we are going to take uh, some discussion questions from the other Einstein, and we are going to discuss them, but also apply uh, anecdotes from the other books to see um, if there are any unifying themes and generally what we can take away. Sounds good. Let's go. Okay. So the first question is, discuss the various ways that gender affects the characters in this novel. Do you think gender would influence um, Maleva's life in the same way if she lived today. Now, pause. We need to do a general summary so people aren't confused. So The Other Einstein is about Albert Einstein's first wife, who was also a student at the Polytechnic where he went to university, and she was on par with him in intellect and scored similar scores and whatever. Um, but as she ended up getting pregnant before they got married, and it was a big, obviously, kerfuffle, and she bombed her exams because she had morning sickness, and generally speaking, she gave up an amazing career like Marie Curie because of her relationship with Albert. And so there is some discussion from some letters in the 80s how much she was involved in Albert's work. Does she deserve co-authorship? Blah, blah, blah. So that is what we... We have many rants about Albert, but we will spare you. The reason I'm not talking is because I'm trying not to rant. <laughs> because he drives me crazy. Ugh, that man. Anyway, so gender. I would like to think that 
I mean, I think generally speaking, it would have been easier for her to have a scientific career in modern times. Case in point, there are many fabulous women who now who have amazing careers and discover amazing things. But so the the ways that it affects it is so first of all, I think more so then than now, she definitely is under this weight of she's expected to get married. And I think this is also where we should point out where that she has a limp. And so that's kind of why her father pushes her into science is because he doesn't think she's marriageable. Because in she's Serbian, and so in Serbia, if you have a deformity, a woman is not eligible for marriage. Or it's very unlikely that she'll get married. And she goes to Polytechnic in Zurich, which is one of the only universities in Europe that will accept women. And she's like, I can't remember, but like, what, six or something to ever enter? Yeah, there's... Yeah, it was very few. I mean, at this time period, colleges in America were only letting people... It, women in if they sat behind screens and stuff and all this craziness so the fact that she could sit in a classroom with men at the same time was considered very progressive at the time well I think the book does a good job of showing how much she has to overcome and I think that this is this is something that hasn't changed which is that she there's a lot of discussion in the book about how she has to work extra hard to appear smart trying to make sure that she doesn't come across as flirty with her co-workers or co-workers with her colleagues and she has to go above and beyond to be demure and dress you know really plainly and stuff to make sure that she fit like that she's not called out for being too sexy or too dumb or just there to get a husband and I think some of that still goes on today definitely especially in the sciences I can't even imagine like being in that sort of situation. And there's an anecdote where she talks about when she's in high school and she answers a question and then this guy later like throws her up against a locker or whatever it is um, and is like getting, you know, because she answered a question and she was right and she's intelligent. It's like, do you think you're so smart and blah, blah, blah. So she did actually face physical danger for pursuing her passion in science. So I think in that way it is... It would have been easier, but at the same time, I think that women still face some of the... I mean, some, it's the same old, same old. Same story, different year, you know. <laughs> so the second question is, betrayal is a recurring motif in the book and an unfortunate reality in Maliva's life. What forms of betrayal does she experience? How does her reaction to those betrayals propel the story forward for better, for worse? Has Maliva engaged in betrayal herself? Obviously... Her whole thing was that she loved Albert because she felt like an equal. They could discuss their equal passions together. and But ultimately, um, he does not treat her like an equal. And he portrays her in that sense. And she keeps giving him chances because when, you know, as a man, he's in a superior position. He had to uh, basically allow her, like pull her up to his status because of that situation. And he didn't. He would not let her in. He wouldn't give her a chance. And she gave him a lot of chances to overcome, especially with situations with when they they had to get married and she had, you know, their first baby. And and I think she was too nice to him, in my opinion. She's very nice to him. It makes me think of one of the books, um, the other books that I've read, which is Z, about Z- Zelda Fitzgerald. 
So the official title of the book is Z, a novel of Zelda Fitzgerald by Therese Ann Fowler. And there's a similar kind. So one of the ways that Albert betrays Maliva is that he says he's going to put her name on one of the papers that they wrote. And then he doesn't like he has it published and doesn't tell her that he has not submitted her name as a co-author. And a similar thing happens to Zelda, which is that she writes these stories and then Scott is, I wanted to call him F Scott. I'm like, no, no, it's Scott. So, <laughs> anyway, so Scott is like, oh, well, I have a name, so let me just publish them under my name. And, you know, you're still getting it published and it's still a good thing, but it'll just be under my name, which is, a, I mean, it's an identical type of situation. Yeah. In the past, what women did was technically owned even intellectual property by their husband. So it wasn't an uncommon idea um, at the time. It's so awful. And it's just, why is that the norm? Obviously, my modern perspective, I can't, I can't understand that. But it's definitely men taking advantage of their position of power over women who are equally intelligent and capable. The silence is telling. We're like, yeah. breathe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is hitting all of the reasons why we started this podcast. Exactly. Exactly. And, oh my goodness. <sighs> okay, on. let's just Moving let's on. just move on. So, a third question is, from a very young age, Maleva assumes that she will never marry due to her physical disability. As we discussed, she has a limp from a... Um, problem with her hip. So how is this disability both a blessing and a curse? How does her limp impact her differently at at different life stages? So the most striking example of this to me is when she is giving birth to their first child. Oh my goodness, that description. So she, so basically because her hips are so offset, she almost dies. Well, no, she doesn't she almost die? There's a lot of bleeding, and they're really worried about her bleeding out, I think. And the baby was breech, and yeah. so that was another complication. So she definitely, it definitely affected her when she was pregnant. So that's a way that it's a curse. What about a blessing? Well, it was a blessing because since she did have this, her dad encouraged her intellectually because he wanted to make sure she had a future. And there's a scene where her parents are discussing her as damaged because she has this and because she couldn't get married. And we don't know how much of this conversation fictionalized, but it's easy to imagine that a Serbian woman who was not really that eligible for marriage, you know, they didn't want her mother, especially didn't want her to aspire to something she could never achieve and be disappointed. Uh, But her dad was like, just let her do whatever. Like, this is her only chance. And let's just take this moment to give a shout out to her dad about how amazingly supportive and incredible and wonderful he is. Yeah, he even moved towns so that she could go to a better high school. Which is beyond astounding for that era. That is incredible. And he supported her in her decisions and she always talked to him about Albert and she even went to a different university for a semester even though they wouldn't technically allow her to take anything for credit. I think also because she felt like she was at a disadvantage because of that conversation between her parents that she overheard, it definitely motivated her to work harder and to, at least early on, but 
then again, like even after she and Albert start their thing, she definitely carries that sense of, you know, she's worked so hard to overcome this huge, I mean, these huge barriers, one being gender and one being this physical disability to get this far. And so she definitely has, carries around with her this sense that, am I doing the wrong thing? Because I've worked. So I think, so I think that's like, now that I've spoken it out loud, it's like a twofold thing where that is a blessing and a curse. Like she's definitely conflicted about it because it does motivate her, but it's also like a source of guilt too. And there's definitely, there's a beautiful scene where she's hiking and because of the way they're hiking, like you can barely tell that she's limping and she just feels so free. Yes. And it's like, it's sort of like intellectually she is equal and amazing with everyone else there. And it gives her a sense that she really isn't less than as much as she thought she was. She's, uh, yeah, I mean, she's definitely, I think that's something that makes her story even more compelling is the fact that not only does she overcome like cultural barriers, but also physical barriers, which are real. Yeah. I guess that brings us to Audible! Yes. Because we love Audible and we can't get enough of Audible, we want to share with you why we love it and why you should listen to more audiobooks. You never listen to too many audiobooks. I love, yes, I, I love audiobooks. You agree. I actually listened to one in two days this weekend. That's majorly impressive. Yeah, it's called The Green Road by Anne Enright. It's actually one of the Bailey's prize nominees that we talked about earlier and let me just bear witness to the fact that i have been getting text messages all weekend about how wonderful and gut-wrenching and emotional and brilliant and fascinating this book is did i hit all the adjectives (laughs) i think so um and more so i love family sagas right i love family sagas that spread over decades and there's generations and we know we and, know oh my goodness so this one covers about 30 years so it's really short in terms of family sagas but there are four kids and this mom starts in the beginning where they find out that you know dan is going to enter the priesthood and in ireland you know that's a big deal especially if you are a protestant <laughs> Uh, and then it goes forward, and each section has a different child. So you have Dan, yes. So it goes to New York with Dan during the AIDS epidemic, and you learn that Dan may not exactly be as priestly as he seems. Oh. And then you have um, Constance, who is a mom, and she's the one that stayed in Ireland. You have Emmett, who goes around the world uh, working for nonprofits. And then you have... Um, Hannah, who is a an actress. And then that's the first half of the book. The second half of the book feels totally different. And I haven't quite decided if I like it or not, but it's all them returning. And it more focuses more on the mom and her feelings towards her children. And so it is very... It, you get whiplash because you're getting all these perspectives. And then you go to one location where they've all come back home. And it is just... It is amazing, definitely worth listening to, and I really would love to know what everyone thinks about it. Cause well, you sold me on it. I haven't. I can lend it to you. Oh, in our weekly side of the road, or monthly side of the road, book <laughs> exchanges. So if you go to the show notes, you can find a link where you can sign up for a free trial of, audi- of audible.com and get an audiobook for free, and you help support the podcast, which we always deeply appreciate. And you can get through more books in the year, which is always a good thing.
So our next question is, Maleva and Albert are drawn to each other from the beginning of their years together at Polytechnic. What qualities compel them toward one another? Is the relationship, quote-unquote, inevitable, as as Maleva believes? It is not inevitable. It is definitely not inevitable. No, it is It is definitely not inevitable. And there's this moment where Maleva can decide to go um, hang out and basically sleep with Albert on this trip before they're married, or she can choose to stay. And she is really conflicted about this, and this is really the moment where her life changes because she chooses Albert's wishes and desires over her own. Granted, she did want to go to, you know, vacation with Albert, but she also wanted her dream. And at that moment, she gave up her dream for Albert and yeah and I think that that's the thing and we kind of talked about Kendra and I talked about this in the pre-podcast podcast um <laughs> about how whether or not he's emotional emotionally manipulative and emotionally abu- abusive and it's kind of, like we don't know like it this book is based off of letters and biographies and there's just not enough information to say that conclusively but in this, it does definitely tend, it does smack of him trying to get her to, like, convincing her that what he wants is what she wants. Because there's this one part after they're married where she says, when they're working on the paper that becomes the theory of relativity, where she says, finally this dream that Albert promised her it seemed like she finally had it and so I think he kind of tried to convince her that she could have everything that she wanted and that he but and but not that so much as that he was the one who could give it to her where I think the difference is so like if you contrast it with her dad her dad was more like you can have everything you want if you work hard and Albert was more like, I can give you everything you want. So it's a different kind of motivation. Yeah. And definitely, I mean, this, this is a work of fiction. So I'm always like taking with a grain of salt and the author in the back of the book discusses the things that she changed and stuff. But if Albert is just half as bad as he is in the book, he still wasn't a nice person. And we know definitively he left his wife and, um, for another woman, for his cousin, for Ugh. his cousin. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. And, and we know that there were women before Mileva. Um, we know all of these things. So he wasn't, he, he, I know everyone's like, but you're destroying Albert Einstein. Well, I'm like, well, if Einstein really was a jerk in real life. Well, and that's the thing is like, so Josh and I were talking about this when, when I was reading it and it was, he was like, well, this is historical fiction. And I'm like, yes, but even if you bring it back to the cold, hard facts of what happens, he's not good to her. <laughs> and that's putting it mildly. Um, so, but to get back around to the question, like, I don't, she definitely, there is a definite point where she chooses to go down this path. And, you know, I'm all for, you know, and, and in, in a partnership, you do give up some of your own stuff for the other person and vice versa. But Albert really didn't give up much for his wife. And that especially shows when she's pregnant with their first child before they're married. And he won't even visit her because he's trying to become a citizen of Switzerland. 
and he's afraid that if they know that he has an illegitimate child, they won't do it. But then even after he's a citizen, he won't let her bring the child when they get married, even though that would make it legitimate because any marriage after legally at the time, whatever. Anyway, so he's very selfish and he doesn't even care about the child. And even like, he doesn't even see it, even like in real life, like he never sees the kid. And you're like, oh, it's just terrible. Like, you just don't do that. <laughs> no. No, so it was not inevitable. And I know we're getting into our, our rant that we have been, been holding back. But now you understand. <sighs> it's so bad. So so I think, I think we can compare this, though, with Hemingway and the Paris wife. Yes. Um, because what is her name? Hadley. Hadley. I was going to say Hetty, and I was like, no. Um, yeah, Hadley. Like, she gives up everything to go with Hemingway. And in all descriptions and all letters of everything I've ever read of um, her, she does seem kind of, like, boring to most people. But her aspirations were to support Hemingway, and she loved him. But then she just didn't seem exciting enough anymore. I don't know. And as we know, Hemingway was a serial, like, marriage jerk <laughs> serial husband i don't know he had many wives and lovers and whatnot and um yeah yeah also not a good situation of male whatever yeah and please people don't think we're disparaging men we both married men we did you know we we like them just some of them are not nice I think everyone can agree on Oh, this. I agree. Is it just so much to ask that <laughs> that men treat women with respect? I mean, for series. So our fifth question is, on several occasions throughout the novel, characters undergo metamorphosis. Where are Maleva's changes and what instigates them? Do some of them frustrate you or take too long? Does Albert change during the course of the novel? If so, how would you describe his evolution? Do you mean de-evolution? Yeah. Like, first I was going to say he doesn't change, but then I actually think he just changes for the worse. Like, the veneer leaves. And we see him for the pompous jerk he is. Exactly. Exactly. We're doing so well at hiding our strong feelings. I'm so proud of us, Autumn. I'm proud of us, too. So throughout the book, I feel like Maleva is always trying to convince herself that things aren't what they seem and or that things are maybe that's not it so much but it's definitely like they have a quibble or they have a flat out knockdown drag out argument and then he's like oh my little horribly horrible gushy names for you and she's like oh Albert I love you and they get back together but there's this one part where after he steals her name, and this is what it is. Like, he's stealing her name by not putting her name on these things that she worked on. He's basically erasing her from history and erasing her identity. But I will not get into that. But we will leave that there. <laughs> there's a thesis in there somewhere. Anyway, um, where she has this moment where she realizes that, and I, I wish I could... I didn't mark the line, but she says something along the lines of sh how she realized she becomes less naive 
And she finally, after all this time, sees things for what they actually are. And I was like, really, lady? It took you this long to figure out? She is very forgiving to him. But I also think that's because women, when it comes to the patriarchy, women are just as at fault as men because we often reinforce on it. And I remember one of our professors saying that, you know, when it comes to women, women in classrooms are the ones that kept, you know, disparaging other women in novels and stuff. And he was just amazed by it. Like, come on women, like (laughs) what? And I think that's very similar in this situation. Women were taught that they only had one destiny and that they were to do this. And so for her mentally to break Apart from that, not just to a polytechnic, but also with the man that she loves and to interact with, like, you know, it's hard to not replicate what you've seen in your own culture and in your own family. And eventually, obviously, she did leave Albert and he did give her his Nobel Prize winning primarily for their sons. But, um, yeah, I mean, while I'm disappointed that she didn't get it together sooner, I, you know, it's just... At that time, if you were in a bad marriage, you just stuck with it. So, I agree. It's very sad. I'm glad. I'm glad that things have changed since then. But it's just very sad. It it is sad. I'm sad for her. Like, and I don't really have too much criticism for her because I feel like she really did the best with what she had. Quite honestly. So the last question is, Albert Einstein is arguably one of the most famous figures of the 20th century, but the other Einstein shares a story about him that you might not have otherwise heard. Did this novel change your perception of him or about the stories we are told regarding other women in history? I think our listeners can answer this for us. (laughs) The answer all together now. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Definitely yes. I know, like, I'm just speechless. I think that's, I think that's it with that question. I think the thing that upsets me the most <laughs> is that she gets no credit. Like, that's the thing that's the most upsetting to me. And the fact that he instigated that is even more upsetting, especially considering he is arguably, well, as the question puts it, arguably one of the most famous figures of the 20th century. Definitely. I mean, when you have, like, even his image of his hair and stuff is all over, like, science kits and stuff. I told Josh, I'm like, I will never buy a photo of Albert Einstein or his hair for the rest of my life. Which which is why I think this book is important. And, yeah, you know, we talked about it in the pre-podcast how, you know, the writing struggles, some of the structure struggles. But ultimately, we want to promote this book because the story is important and, you know, caveats aside, stories about women married to famous dudes are important because you see a less male version of history. Yeah, and I think that this t- – Virginia Woolf says it best, of course, where <laughs> – obviously, <laughs> where she says for most of history or in most of history, Anonymous was probably a woman and – I think that there's a lot of truth to that statement is that history has by and large written out a lot of these women who made, and in this case, made significant contributions to how we view the world and how we operate ourselves in the world. And they're just, I mean, I'd never heard of her before this book. 
Yeah. And I think that's definitely why I'm going to give a plug here for a few books that I really love and women in science. Um, and because there is called women in science, we'll link it in the show notes, but it's about 50 women throughout history who were in science. And then there's wonder women has innovators and women in science and medical industry and also bad girls throughout history. Um, and it covers all three of those books cover so many amazing women that I had no idea existed, but are very, very important to history and folklore and so many different things. And I think because, you know, men write history, they tend to forget that wives aren't just flat characters. Like they had wants and desires and everything and even talents, as we see with Maleva. Like she was scoring up there with Einstein in school and only at the very end when she got pregnant and was having stress with her relationship with Einstein did she actually fail her exit exams. So Exactly. And one of the books we didn't plug, one book we did want to plug, but we didn't. it didn't come up naturally in the conversation, but we wanted to put in a good word for it, is Under the Wide and Starry Sky by Nancy Horan, and it is about Robert Louis Stevenson's wife. And uh, you remember the famous story that Treasure Island came from Robert Louis Stevenson drawing a map for his stepson, and that was his wife Fanny's son. And so it covers her remarriage, which was a big deal at the time, and Robert Louis Stevenson, which I didn't know, was very, very ill his entire life, and they end up moving to the tropical island because the climate was better for his health. Um, And so it covers her supporting him and his art and him being sick for, you know, his entire life they were together very good i don't know which one of these is my favorite they all have different parts and depending on what part of literature you like you probably will have a favorite um yeah so i think that's everything we well it's not everything we wanted to say about the other einstein but i think, I think you can fill in the rest <laughs> and if you if you have any questions or want to challenge anything we said or add your two bits um, feel free to reach out to us on social media and we would be more than happy to continue this conversation. Yes, and please, we will have some of these uh, discussion questions in our group on Goodreads. And please go there. And also, we have some review shout-outs. Yay! Yes, so we would like to thank uh, TMH3 and KLMQW. One two three four five. That uh, we really appreciate your review and we appreciate your support and taking the two minutes it takes to review us. And if you love our podcast and would like to support us, then please go and review us, and we greatly appreciate it. And we'll give you a shout out. And it'll make our day legit. That's not an exaggeration. We get very excited when we see these. We so get very excited. <laughs> Inordinately excited. But anyway, so. And, uh, Oh, I almost forgot. <gasps> Me too. Next time on The Reading Woman, it is time for the Reading Woman Awards. Ah! If I had sound effects capabilities, I would put them in right now. But I think Autumn does a good job. Just imagine when you send the iMessage with confetti. That's what it's like. Yes. So we are very excited to announce that our next episode is the Reading Woman Awards, where we will be telling you about our favorite books of the year. And uh, having a few other surprises there. So definitely tune back in next week. Wow. It'll be the perfect pre-Christmas driving to your grandmother's house podcast. 
We yes, promise. and and don't worry, we will definitely have some gift guides and stuff on our blog. So if you don't follow our blog, you definitely need to, um, because we make a lot of interesting announcements and we have gifs and fun stuff, all fun yeah. stuff, all the time. Yeah. And I think that's our podcast. So again, be sure to join us next time. Uh, we are going to be announcing the winners of the Reading Women Award, the inaugural Reading Women Award. Um, you can find me, Autumn Privet, on Twitter, Instagram, Litzy, and other places, probably at Autumn Privet. And you can find Kendra at KD, D is in Dylan Winchester, on Twitter, Litzy, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. As Kendra mentioned before, please review us. We greatly appreciate it. And yeah, thanks for listening. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. Storybound is a podcast where acclaimed writers read their essays and stories, which are then scored by unique and award-winning composers with each episode hosted by myself, Jude Brewer. With Storybound, you'll find a whole array of genres and musical styles, some painful yet sweet or hilarious yet tragic, all brought to you by the Podglomerate and Lit Hub Radio. Hi, I'm So Pandep. Hi, I'm Megan Angelo. This is Tommy Orange. This is Amanda Stern. This is Phil Cly. Hello, this is Stephanie Dandler. My name is Chloe Caldwell, and you're listening to Storybound. Storybound. This is Storybound. 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 This is the Storybound podcast. Season two will be arriving on July 14th with new episodes every Tuesday, featuring writers like Stephanie Dandler, Garth Greenwell, Tommy Orange, Chloe Caldwell, and more. Make sure to subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell a friend, because the next best thing to hearing a great story is having someone to share it with.